We are in Romans, so today we're in Romans 12, 17 through 21. Renewed mind, renewed relationships. Let's stand and read our scripture together. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is God's word. You may be seated. I listened to a sermon this week by a nationally recognized evangelical pastor who took verses 17 and 18, which, which you just read, the first two of those verses, uh, for his, as the primary text for his message. And, and the pastor read these two verses, quickly proceeded to say that what these two verses are all about is conflict resolution. He then went on to a point-by-point set of practical instructions uh, on how to resolve conflict. And learning how to resolve conflict in our relationships is essential for us as followers of Jesus. Uh, And what he taught was actually very helpful on the topic. However, I was was surprised and somewhat disappointed on two points. Uh, First, having read the two verses and presented them as the foundation for his teaching, Uh, He never, ever returned to those verses or even mentioned them again. And secondly, it became clear to me that that the reason he never returned to these verses is that they're not actually about conflict resolution. Um, They never tell us how to resolve conflict. Instead, they speak to our uh, something that precedes all of that, that comes prior to all of that, which is our initial processing of offenses and conflict. Conflict that shapes how we react or respond. How we react, how we respond. They're about the work each of us needs to do internally that precedes any attempts at resolution of conflict. But we do have conflict, don't we, in our relationships? You notice that? Maybe this morning on the way to church, you experienced a little conflict in the car, who knows? We have political conflict, we have military conflict, we have conflict in our marriages and conflict in our families, conflict in our schools, conflict in our communities, we have sexual conflict, economic conflict, racial conflict, ethnic conflict, tribal conflict, religious conflict, conflict between friends, conflict between boyfriends and girlfriends, workplace conflict, we have conflict on our freeways, especially in Tacoma, Fort Lewis. We have conflict on the Internet. Any, any of you in the Twitter sphere? I, I recently reacted, re- reactivated my Twitter account, and uh, man, what is that just a terrible place? It's just the, the vitriol, the viciousness, the slander, the malice, the... Uh. Well, remember that this section is still governed by verses 1 to 2. 
where Paul said, um, I urge you, therefore, brothers, having, having laid out the gospel over 11 chapters, chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, I urge you, therefore, brothers, in view of the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your logical worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, that you may prove or test what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And so the verses we're reading today need to be understood in light of or in in the shadow of that overarching principle of presenting our bodies as living sacrifices and then allowing by the Spirit of God and by the Word of God our minds uh, to be uh, our, our minds to be renewed by the transforming power of the Spirit of God. And these verses are about then how with a, re, a mind that's being renewed, uh, we respond to those who oppose us, to those who offend us, to those who injure us. And if verses 9 to 16 instructed us about what genuine love looks like in the family of God, which is the way we approach those verses. We might see verses 17 to 21 as instruction on, about how a renewed mind brings about renewed relationships, in this case, with our enemies. This, this passage contains four commands, uh, each of which means more or less the same thing. It's, it's like looking at at one thing, one idea, one concept, one problem, one issue from four different angles. And so he begins with this, and we're going to spend most of the time on this first of the four. Repay no one evil for evil. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Well, let's begin with the first part of that command. And in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus taught, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Notice that word evil, underline it if you have your own Bible. Don't, don't write in other people's Bibles. Do not resist the one who is evil. Evil. Jesus modeled this. He, didn't he, he demonstrated for us what this means in his responses to those who, it seems, were in his face every day, opposing him constantly, perpetually, persistently, annoyingly throughout the three years of his public ministry, and as well as to those who betrayed him, mocked him, beat him, scourged him, finally crucified him. And the Apostle Peter put it this way in 1 Peter 2, listen up, for to this you have been called. To this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been 
healed. And what precisely did Paul have in mind here in then in verse 17 of Romans 12? We, we might be reminded that he's already stated the principle, this very same principle from a slightly different angle in verse 14, where he wrote, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. But here in verse 17, Paul is saying something different, something very specific that I think really deserves our attention. The word that Jesus used in Matthew 5, that's translated evil, describes a person whose evil intent it is to do you harm and shows that by his or her actions, outward actions. And Jesus said that we're not to resist that person. We're not to retaliate against that person. If they strike us on the cheek, we're to turn the other cheek to them as well. When I was a kid, I thought, we'll only have two cheeks, so if they hit me twice, then I can hit them back. (laughs) I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind. In verse 17 of, yeah, if I'm still standing after their first two hits, right? In verse 17 of Romans 12, Paul uses a different word for evil than Jesus did. Where Jesus spoke to the outward expressions of evil, the word Paul uses here in verse 17 of chapter 12 speaks to the inward source of evil. Malicious thoughts malicious attitudes that are the product of a depraved, morally rotten character. Interestingly, in his letter to the church in Thessalonica, Paul gives a command that's nearly identical and uses the same word. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. And the Apostle Peter echoes, echoed this same thing in chapter 3, verse 9 of his first letter, again using the very same word that Paul uses here in Romans 12, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. I've been thinking a lot this week about this distinction between the outward expression of evil in sinful acts of retaliation, retribution, and the inward character in which those outward expressions find their origin. It seems to me that what Paul is urging us toward when he says, repay no one evil for evil is this that when a person of evil character acts in evil ways toward us because that's all they can do because that's who they are, we are to make the moral choice or the series of moral choices that prevent that person's evil character from drawing us into reflexive responses that are equally evil. And that's challenging because we have a sin nature that gets stirred up. When someone sins against us, it's almost like 
guitar, you know, strumming guitar strings. We just vibrate. And the evil in, in their character that caused them to do what they did just stirs up the evil character in us, the sin nature. I'm probably the only one that feels this way. And what that means is that in the moment when we are being injured, when we're being offended, we're going to have to engage in some inward moral reflection, some introspection, some inward self-examination, some inward self-correction and self-restraint. God's word calls us to incredibly high levels of moral and ethical reasoning, doesn't it? I mean, I've heard people say, well, you Christians, you're, you're all just a bunch of idiots, and you know, you're, you're, you're weak of mind anyway to believe, believe all that stuff that you believe, and, and uh, you're probably just you know, ethical morons. But boy, the more I read God's word, both Old Testament and New Testament, I realize that, that God calls us to the highest of ethics uh, and, and the most exacting morality. It's not what saves us. It's not our morality that saves us. It's our faith in Christ. It's the blood of Christ that washes away our sin. But the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and begins changing us. And, and Paul told us earlier in Romans that, that God's purpose in, in allowing his Holy Spirit to come and take up residence in our lives, part of that purpose is to make us, the central part of that pur- purpose is to make us more and more like Jesus, to, to transform us from the inside out. But here's the rub, and, and here's the confession. I don't really like to be terribly hard on myself. Uh, in, especially in those circumstances. I, I have a strong inclination toward defensiveness, rationalization, self-justification. So what I'm very prone to do when I'm injured or offended in some way is to vo- avoid outward retaliation because I'm a nice guy after all. I'm a pastor on top of all of that. So I avoid outward retaliation while nurturing inward retaliation. Just nurturing it. You say, you're that sinful? Yes. Yes, I am. See, I I take pride and comfort in the fact that at least I didn't kill the person outwardly. (laughs) Or badly injure them. Instead, I assassinate them inwardly. You hear me? And when I do that, I have done exactly what Paul commands us in verse 17 not to do. I have repaid evil for evil. I've repaid evil for evil. I can't skate on this. I can't get out from under it. I can't give myself a pass when it comes to doing the hard inward work of resisting evil in my own heart. And I really have been thinking a lot about this and and just noticing this week how how many of my responses when someone gets in my space or in my face, how I, I, I justify that inward 
that inward retaliation. The words that are unspoken, but, but I hear them on the inside. The attitudes. So rather than repaying evil for evil, Paul says we're to give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Now, I love the fact that Paul points out this alternate response because the words give thought literally mean stop and think. Stop and think before reacting. And I need that reminder. Why? Because God is watching and so are a whole lot of other people. And they want to know if this Jesus who lives in me is making any positive difference really in my life. Or if I'm just kind of an outward cultural Christian. Paul wrote to the Christians in Corinth, we aim at what is honorable not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And what's honorable, what that word means is that which inspires and motivates others to embrace what is good. That sets the standard that, that extends an invitation simply by our conduct for them to follow suit. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father in heaven. And that's why one of the New Testament qualifications for anyone who aspired to be an elder in the church, and you can add the word pastor to that, or was being considered to be an elder, is that they have a good reputation in the community. That they live honorably. They do what is honorable in the sight of all. Timothy wrote regarding an, a, a candidate for to be an elder, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. I could go on on that, but I need to move on. But Paul's second command here is live peaceably with all. Live peaceably with all. And this word translated peaceably has a few different connotations. It means, first of all, that there's an inward peacefulness about your character that's, that, that's manifested in a sense of integrity. Uh, when I was young, I used to hear people talk about a person of integrity being cut from whole cloth. It also means that you're living in peace in your relationships, that, that your interactions with people around you aren't filled with contention. They're not filled with argumentation. There's not always conflict that kind of surrounds your relationships, pervades them. And it also certainly means that you are a person who actively cultivates peace among those around you. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Now notice the the two caveats that that Paul adds here in verse 18. The first one is, uh, if possible. If possible. I'm, I'm glad that he added this because, you know, conflict exists in our world because we live in a world that's broken by sin. We ourselves are broken by sin. We live in a real world, in a real painful world. There are some people with whom we will not be able to live peaceably, no matter how hard we try, because they themselves are neither people of integrity nor peacemakers. Second, he says, so far as it depends on you, So far as it depends on you, the writer of Hebrews urged his readers, strive for peace with everyone. The reality is that 
You and I can't control or manage the choices and reactions of others. We can only control and manage our own. And therefore, we must. We must. I had a conversation with one of my neighbors earlier this year about something that I had been planning to build in my backyard. I had spent a, a lot of time thinking about this, planning for this. It was on my own property. It was entirely legal. Uh, it was something I really, really wanted to do. But I thought, you know, I should ask our, our HOA, I should ask our my neighbors how they would feel if I built this thing. And one of my neighbors responded very, very negatively. In fact, uh, it went ballistic over it. Red in the face. You know, from the perspective of my rights as a property owner, I could have moved forward with it despite his response. Because I was perfectly it's perfectly okay for me to do it on my own property. But I chose not to because I wanted to live in peace with my neighbor. I wasn't happy. I had a lot of nasty thoughts. I assassinated him in- inwardly. really had to work through my feelings about it. But I think I made the right choice on that occasion. Because I want to live in peace with my neighbor. Third, Paul says, never avenge yourselves. Never avenge yourselves. I heard a story about a truck driver who, who stopped at a, a diner in a truck stop, ordered a cheeseburger, sitting at the counter, And as he was getting ready to eat it, a motorcycle gang pulled up outside and parked their motorcycles. And one of the gang members came up to the counter where he was and called him some choice names, insulted him, took his cheeseburger off the plate and ate it. The truck driver didn't say anything. He just got up from the counter and walked out of the truck stop. And that gang member said to the waitress, Well, he's not much of a man, is he? And the waitress, looking out the window, said, No, and he's not much of a driver either. He just backed his 18-wheeler over six motorcycles. (laughs) See, I think vengeance probably ought to be considered a a traditional American value. we love vengeance. Some of my favorite movies are, you know, they're, they're vengeance movies. There's somebody taking retribution on, on a bad guy. The Marvel comic movie The Avengers is the eighth highest grossing movie of all time. And then there's Die Hard. You know, I've heard some people say that Die Hard is their favorite Christmas movie. <laughs> The third movie in the series, Die Hard with a Vengeance, is considered by a lot of critics to be the best of them all. But vengeance appeals to our selfish, evil, sin nature, doesn't it? We like the principle of lex talionis, the idea of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So long as it's someone else's eyes and someone else's teeth. I think it was Mahatma Gandhi who said that if uh, the law of lex talionis was universally applied everyone would be toothless and blind. But here's what Paul writes in verse 19, but leave it to the wrath of God. 
Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. It occurred to me in the first service that that two-word phrase, leave it, is the, is the command that my kids give to their dog when they want him to drop something in his mouth that he's holding on tight to. Leave it. Leave it. Leave it to the wrath of God. Let it go. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay. It's a promise, says the Lord. You know, the reality that we need to grasp is that in the final analysis, it's all going to be dealt with. Every sin, every injury, every offense, God's going to take care of it. He's got this. So leave it to him. That's what Paul's saying. Robert Mounts wrote that Christians are not called upon to help God carry out divine retribution. He doesn't need our help. God promises, vengeance is mine, I will repay. I want you to think right now about that person you can't let off the hook. Maybe it's an ex-wife or an ex-husband. Might be a parent or an employer, supervisor, a teacher, a co-worker. Perhaps it's a former friend who betrayed you. Someone who hurt you in the deepest of ways. You, you think you can't forgive them. You think you can't leave it to God. They hurt you. You want to hurt them back. Can we decide that vengeance is not ours to carry out? Actually let it go, can we? Can we? Isn't that what Jesus did? The Jesus who we say lives in us. Through us. Earlier I read from 1 Peter 2 where in verses 22 to 23 Peter wrote of Jesus, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth when he was Reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. But continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. There it is. There's the key, isn't it? We lean hard into God, the righteous judge. We invite him to search our hearts, our minds, our conduct. We entrust not only ourselves to him, but also those who have hurt us, on whom we would otherwise want to take vengeance, on whom we would otherwise pour out every last drop of our own wrath. See, instead of vengeance, Paul describes or prescribes a radical alternative. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, underline enemy, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap 
burning coals on his head. And here Paul's quoting directly from Proverbs 25, 21 to 22. It's almost a direct translation. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink, for you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. I want you to notice two things there. He's talking about your enemy. He's not talking about anonymous high school students for whom you do a food drive. You know, faceless, nameless. He's not talking about people that, uh, who are helpless. He's, he's talking about our enemies. Those whom we would identify in our lives as enemies. Personal enemies. And the second thing is that, that expression he uses. What in the world does it mean to heap burning coals on my enemy's head? I mean, that sounds kind of good to me, you know. <laughs> Get a few glowing embers from the Barbie and just pack those right around his cranium. It's exactly what I've always wanted to do. Well, here's what it can't mean in context. It can't mean hasta la vista, baby. It, it cannot mean that. It can't be carrying out my own vengeance. Notice the means by which Paul says we heap burning coals on our enemies' heads. It's by feeding them and giving them something to drink. What? It's it's by attending to their needs and serving them according to their needs. Serving them. And it's clear in the context of what Paul is saying here that it can't be a form of vengeance. So what then does it mean. In the ancient world, not only amongst the Jews, but also amongst the Arabs and and other nations around them, this was an everyday expression. It refers to things that cause intense mental pain. or variations on the expression were burning coals of the heart, fire in the liver, (laughs) sounds terrible. To heap burning coals on your enemy's head is to stir up in your enemy's memory by means of loving service, memories of the wrong that he or she has done to you so that his or her conscience will be provoked to the to the end that they're moved to repentance. By your loving service in the face of their antagonism, in the face of their offense, their conscience is provoked to repentance. You know, whenever I study the the final week of Jesus leading up to the crucifixion, this just happens every year around Easter as I'm really focusing on, on that story of the passion of Jesus, the final week. There's a couple of things that always stand out to me. And the first one is this. I I see Jesus fully aware that Judas Iscariot has already betrayed him to the Jews. And all that's left to do are the details. And Jesus knows what's about to happen in the coming hours. Nevertheless, on that very night... Jesus is sitting at table with Judas. He's eating with him. He's drinking with him. The narrative says that at one point in, in, in that 
evening in the upper room together, Jesus laid aside his outer garment, stood up from the table, laid aside, his, laid aside his outer garment, wrapped a towel around his waist, and began to wash the disciples' feet, including Judas Iscariot. Jesus washed Judas' feet. And in so doing, he heaped burning coals on Judas' head. And we know that's true because Judas later was filled with the most intense remorse. And I see Jesus on the cross, dying like a common criminal, praying for his enemies, praying that God the Father would forgive them because they didn't know what they were doing. Heaping burning coals on their heads such that the Roman centurion said, this surely was the Son of God. Jesus kept entrusting himself to God who judges rightly right up to the very end. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians and said, Indeed, God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. Paul's fourth command is this, Do not be overcome by evil. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We all know what overcoming means. It means to engage, it means to conquer, it means to prevail, to win, to emerge victorious. And here's what you, you need to remember as we close today. To overcome evil with good implies an intentional, thoughtful, considered decision and strategy. It's not going to happen unless you choose it and you apply your mind thoughtfully to it, thoroughly to it. And it also implies a battle. It's a military term. None of this is easy. If it was, everyone would do it. But just take a look at how few ever even try. You may be saying this morning, I don't think I can go there. How can I just let him off the hook? How can I let her off the hook? How can I leave? How can I just leave it here? How can I just leave it to God? After all they've done to me, how can I just let them skate free? And I want to encourage you this morning that you you find some help and support from another believer in whom you can confide, who will listen, who will love you, who will empathize with you, but who will also hold you accountable to begin the work of introspection, the, the business of self-examination that results in your being able to choose to serve your enemy. And more importantly than that, and and preceding all of that, I want to invite you to invite Jesus Christ to take up residence in your life. 
Because without him, none of this is really possible. Allow the one who died for his enemies, praying for them all the way, who washed the feet of his enemies, to take up resonance in your life and to change you from the inside out. You say, well, I don't want to, really. And I don't really know how I could ever do that. Here's what Paul says God does. Paul said, is it God who is at work in you? First to give you the desire to do what he wants, and then to give you the power to do it. When when Jesus takes up residence in your life, he begins to change you. And, And part of what he changes is your your desires, your will. We sang it earlier, change what we see and what we seek. Changes your desire and then he gives you the power to do what he calls you to do. Keep on Entrusting yourself to him who judges rightly. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. As it says in another place, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. that cuts right down to the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. Now, Lord, these are areas in which we all struggle Our culture encourages us to take revenge. Your word calls us to leave it to you. And so you call us to a different life, a different and higher set of values. Lord, would you enable us by your spirit through the desire and the power that you promise, would you enable us to live out these commandments? And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.